Good morning, everybody. My name is Josh. I'm the young adult pastor. I'm new here. My wife and I have been here for about six weeks, and it's an honor to be here. Um, but before I uh, start, I love the. Um, we have a team in Staten Island. Um, they're serving there with some of the recovery going on there. I'd love to pray for them. You can see them on the screen there. And also uh, pray for Crimea in the, in, in the Ukraine, um, you know, all this unrest going on there. So l- let, me, let me pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you've called us as your disciples to go. And Lord, we thank you so much for those who are in Staten Island who have heeded the call and have gone to serve there. Lord, I pray for continued blessing and protection. Lord, even more so, I pray that um, people in that community will see more Christians coming to fix their house and their community. And I pray that they will be curious. Uh, conversation will be started and there will be an opportunity to share the gospel with them. And Lord, I pray that all of Staten Island, when they think about Christians, they'll think about those people who came and served and helped me rebuild after a disaster. Lord, I also pray for the Ukraine, for the Crimean Peninsula. Lord, I pray for unity. I pray for peace. I pray for the Ukrainian and Russian believers an opportunity to um, show the gospel is one of unity and of peace. So we pray for peace, Lord. We pray uh, no more lives are, are, kill, are stopped uh, through this. And Lord, we long for when your son comes and establishes his kingdom. We don't need guns anymore. And we turn you know, guns into, into pruning hooks. And we, you know, we get to celebrate a good and always good and always benevolent king. So uh, we, we long for that day. Lord, be with us as we... Uh, Hear the word preached, and, and may we be able to glean things that we can live out in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Like Rick said, we're in week four of My Name is God series. Um, we've talked about three names of God so far. Let's do a little review. You can see them on the wall. Elohim. Elohim is the word, the name for, simp- for God. It's simply God. But we know that Elohim of the Bible is unique because he's the great creator God who created all things out of nothing by simply speaking. And he is the creator God, Elohim. The week after that, we talked about El Elyon, the God most high, who's most high over all others, all other beings, all over things. He's the God most high that we can run to for refuge. Last week, we talked about Yahweh. That's the covenant name, the personal name of God. He's the God who is in the now. He is the God who is there for us, the unchanging one, the eternal one. And today we're talking about Adonai, the name Adonai. Now, um, before we hop into the text today, it's going to be important for me to kind of set up some foundations, some groundworks. Usually I love to jump right into the text, but before that, let me kind of give you some facts and some context about the word Adonai and the name Adonai so that we can really understand the text we're looking at today. But if you want to, you go ahead and you turn there. It's 2 Samuel chapter 7. We're looking at uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7 today. Now, Adonai is a name for God, and it's actually a plural. If you remember from week one, we talked about how Elohim is plural for El. And uh, scholars call this a plural of majesty, where you refer to someone in the plural in order to show reverence and respect. Spanish kind of has something like this in the Spanish language. Now, in your Bibles, in your modern English translations, they don't have you know Elohim written out or Yahweh, but the translators have translated them pretty um, standard across the board. 
Anytime you see God, or most of the time when you see God, especially in the ESV translation, that's the name Elohim. You know, G-O-D, that would be Elohim. And when you see uh, in, the, in the Bible, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's Yahweh. So anytime you see Lord in all caps, that's a translator it's indicating that that's the name Yahweh. And anytime you see Lord, big L, little O, little R, little D, that's almost always Adonai. And, you know, we're, and we'll see today, anytime you see Lord and then God in all caps, that is Adonai Yahweh. It makes more sense than saying Lord, Lord. So it, they, you, Lord Adonai, capital G, capital O, capital D, Yahweh. Now in scripture and in the ancient culture, you have to remember, you know, the, the, the language of the day, the language, the Hebrew language that scripture was written in was not some foreign holy language that God spoke down and wrote on a tablet. It was simply language people used. And just like in our English language, they borrowed words and names from other languages. So the name Adonai actually has presence in other cultures in um, the biblical times. And the word Adonai or Adon, which is the singular, simply the name Lord. In our translation, it's Lord. Um, now, for us today, we don't use the name Lord very often, right? If we hear Lord, we maybe think of, you know, Lord Farquaad from Shrek, <laughs> you know, the little guy. Or we maybe Lord Grantham. I don't know Downton Abbey people out there. But we don't really use Lord much. I actually uh, did a, a, a study this, morning, or, uh, this week about the use of Lord in the English, English language. For every one instance that we see Lord show up in a, in a book or a newspaper or an article, for every one instance, it was used six times 150 years ago. So our culture really is kind of phasing out this word Lord. Why is that? Because we're Westerners. <laughs> we don't like this idea of Lord. Because we, we see um, in, the, in the biblical text, that Adonai, or Adon, is used in two specific ways. Adonai as master, and Adonai as husband. All right. Before we deal with this, let's deal with this here. Adonai as master. The idea of Lord carries with it the idea of master and servant, or master-slave relationship. Now, we, thankfully, we don't have those... Often, there's still slavery. We actually, Rahab Ministries works in, there's um, human trafficking in independence in the 12 uh, hotels in independence. But it's not something we see every day in our culture, thankfully. But in the biblical times, in, all, in, in the nation of Israel and all throughout the land, master-slave relationship was paramount. The most common vocation in ancient times was one of slave. So there were many Adons or many Adonais throughout the ancient world. And even today, there are still many who relate to someone as a master and as a slave. It was the central economic and social institution in biblical times and for much of human history. And we see in the biblical times, there are two types of slaves. There's involuntary Slaves, right? We know that where, you know, wicked men come and steal people and they make them their slaves. Okay, so we know involuntary slave. 
There was also a group who were voluntarily slaves, who signed up to be a slave. And we see it in the Bible, uh, in the New Testament, called a bondservant. They voluntarily become a slave. Now, why in the world would anybody voluntarily become a slave? Think about it. A master can provide a slave with a lot of things. Like back in the day, you know, there was no Jerusalem PD, right? There was no Bethlehem, you know, FBI, the, right? So if something happened to you back in the day, you didn't call the police, you went and did something about it. If someone stole your stuff, you had to go get it back. If someone assaulted your family or your wife, it was your responsibility to go do something about it, right? And if you were like me back in the day, you know, that's very ineffective. You know, me with the sword is not going to intimidate, you know, this group of marauders to give me back my cows or whatever. So uh, someone would voluntarily say, hey, I'm going to be a servant or a slave underneath a powerful Adon or Adonai in order to get protection. Also, we talked about how a slave was the primary or one of the, one of the most common vocations in ancient world. So being a slave provided not only protection, but provision. You got a job, you had a place to live, you had food, you had shelter. So when you think of an Adonai, when, when we think of an Adonai today, we have these stereotypes. But back in the day, it was something that was so common, and people even volunteered to be a, a slave because the Adonai would provide protection and provision. But, <laughs> right, when you volunteered <laughs> to become a slave, you better be crystal clear that this Adonai is benevolent, is just, and is caring. Because once you become a slave of an Adonai, the master owns you. It was a tricky business. Now, as much as we bristle at the idea of master, slave, of, of, of Adonai, servant, I think even more so we bristle at this idea in the Old Testament, the most common uh, name for a husband said by a wife is Lord, <laughs> is Adon or Adonai, right? Yeah, right. So the, the application for today is women, you should call, no, no, it's not, right. Yeah, once I suggest that Deborah will start calling me Lord, you'll see me, you know, curled up in a sleeping bag in my office, you know, washing up in the sink before service on Sundays, right? That's not what I'm suggesting. But you think you try to, let's try to dial our minds back to the biblical world. And if you've done any reading in history, you know that for much of human history, women were treated not as equals, but as like a prized possession. Right? You've got a, you've got a guy who has a daughter. And you've got this other guy who's got a son. And then the guy buys the daughter for the bride price, you know, five cows or this much gold. And the, the daughter becomes... Uh, more lack of a better term, underneath the lordship of this husband. And that was the most common name that a wife would call her husband. We even see that in 1 Peter 5, uh, or 1 Peter 3, 6. It says, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. All right. Now, Josh, listen, we're 21st century, right? We, we, we don't do that anymore. It, 
You know, isn't this proof talking about wives or, you know, refer to their husbands as Lord? Isn't that proof that the Bible is an outdated, outmoded, misogynistic, ancient text that we really can't do anything about? And we should just move it out so that, because we have become a more civilized society. We've gone beyond the Bible, especially the Old Testament. Let me try to prove to you that it was so kind and loving for God to even uh, deal with this issue of Adonai and, and husband and wife. Right. So the Bible teaches that in the Garden of Eden, there was a good, beautiful garden that Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. You know, they tended the garden, and sin was not present yet. But Adam and Eve sinned. So sin came into the world caused death and destruction, but also sin came into the human heart. And we know uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, you know, the, the, the German philosopher, said, hey, if we could just get religion out of the way, what would happen is that the strong would rule. And he was a proponent of this, which Christians are not. But that's exactly what happened. When sin entered the world, God had yet to reveal his holy word to us. So the strong i.e. men, got to determine how social institutions were established, right? If you're 6'1 and 200, and then you've got someone else who's a female who's, you know, 5'3, 110, well, then the 6'2, 200 guy gets to tell the younger, you know, the smaller how this marriage works. And it's not until God reveals himself in scripture and throughout the Old Testament and especially in the New Testament that we get a clear picture of how we're supposed to actually be and live as a husband and a wife. See, John Calvin said that when God reveals himself in scripture, he uses baby talk. He uses the things we understand in order to communicate to us his will. But what he does, he uses our terms, like term Adonai, uses it in a way that, that ancient biblical readers would understand, and then takes it in a totally different direction. That's what's happening in Scripture, and that's what's happening in our text today. So let's look at that, 2 Samuel chapter 7. Verse 1, now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord gave him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king said to Nathan the prophet, see now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. So what was going on here is this is a period in King David's life that he, God gave him rest from his enemies. It was a period of relative peace. And up until then, they were fighting battles, and they had this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. It was like a big wooden box with special items inside that symbolized the presence of God. And they would take it along with the people of Israel as they're going through the wilderness, and they would house it in a tent called the tabernacle. And King David, as a, as a good king would do, as a good servant would do, he says, hey, there's peace in the land. The ark of God is in a tent. I'm going to build God a house. 
I'm going to build him a beautiful temple in order to put the Ark of the Covenant in. And the people of Israel can come from near and far and worship the God, the great God that I serve. And this is a common thing. This is what we would expect from a master-slave relationship. The master God provides provision, sustenance, and protection from David's enemies. So in return, David the servant would do something for the master. He's going to build him a house. That's what, how a master-slave relationship works. Well, let's see this master's response to David. Verse 11, second part of verse 11. This is God speaking through Nathan the prophet. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. This is what we call the Davidic covenant. This is why Jesus Christ came from the line of David. The great Yahweh promised to David that, no, 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 you're not going to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house and a lineage with children and grandchildren, and your line will last for eternity. That's why Jesus came from the house of David. That's why Jesus was born in David's hometown of Bethlehem. You see, th- this is the interesting thing about this Adonai that we serve. The Adonai that David serves. <laughs> you see, this master is totally flipping on its head our understanding of what it means to be a master and what it means to be a servant or slave. Let's see David's response. Verse 18. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Adonai Yahweh? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Adonai Yahweh. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Adonai Yahweh. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Adonai Yahweh. See, David gets it. David gets it. He understands that the great master who has provided provision and protection to David, deserves from his servant something, to do something, to make something. But you see, this Adonai that David serves, this Adonai that we serve, he doesn't need his servants. He's the Elohim who spoke all things into existence. He is the great Elohim, who has a host of angels to do all of his bidding. You see, this is the only Adonai who doesn't need his servants. This Adonai serves his servants. 
This Adonai blesses his servants. The master does not need the servant, but he still provides provision and protection for his servants. Okay, well, well, how do we serve God then? How do we serve God? We serve God by living underneath his protection and his provision. We serve God by, when it hits the fan at work, going to God with our hurts and our struggles. Going to God to right the wrongs when your family member or your sister or your friend is gossiping wrongly about your, behind your back. We go to God. We live under his protection when we go to God to make right the things that we've messed up. We live under his protection. And we also live under his provision. We serve God by going to him with our financial struggles and needs, with our career decisions, with our future, with providing the education and the friends and the influences for your children. The question is this then. Is Adonai the Lord of your life? Now, you might have heard that phrase before, right? You think, well, must teach them all that in seminary. All right, well, what does that mean? If Adonai is the Lord of your life, then your source of strength, your source of refuge, where you go when it all hits the fan, is Adonai. You see, if you go to anything other than Adonai in times of distress for provision and protection, then that other thing is your Lord. And that other thing, ultimately, is your master. And it ultimately controls you. We understand this. Probably not one of us in, our, in this room has not ran to another source of comfort than the great God. Whether it's a bottle, whether it's a computer, whether it's another person. Ultimately, what we run to, if it's not the great Adonai, ends up mastering us. And it is not a good master. It's not a benevolent master that serves us. Ultimately, it's a master that demands continual and ultimate service. If Adonai is the Lord of your life, then you run to him for protection and provision. Adonai, being the Lord of your life, is said not by your lips, but by your life. All right, so David understands this. That's why he's so exuberant and saying, Adonai Yahweh, you're... I was going to build you a house. You're going to build me a house. When the next couple verses, it seems like David gets a little carried away. And we understand the master-servant relationship. But it seems like he takes it a step further. Let's look in verse 20. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Adonai Yahweh. Because of your promise, and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. Therefore, you are great, O Yahweh Adonai, for there is none like you, there is no one beside you, according to all we have heard with our ears. Okay, so in verse 21. 
David says, because of your promise. Now we understood Yahweh, the name Yahweh. He's the promise maker, the promise keeping God. He's the one who doesn't change. So according to your promise, we understand that. And a master can promise something to a slave. According, because of your promise and according to your own heart. Wait a minute. You see, this Adonai is unlike any Lord or any master we or they have ever heard. Because this Adonai loves us with his own heart. You see, this master is not relating to us in like a contractual relationship. We understand contracts, right? You got a contract with your phone. If AT&T stops giving you phone service, you stop paying your bill, right? You stop paying your bill, more likely, AT&T stops your phone service. That's a contract. But this Adonai is dealing with a covenant. He says, I'm your master. You're my slave. I'm going to provide provision and protection for you. Even if you don't serve me. And according to his own heart, he is the Lord and he's also our husband. He has adopted us and brought us into his family underneath his provision and protection. And because of his own heart, he has promised to care for us, provide for us, and protect us. Adonai is our master, and Adonai is also our husbands. You think about back then. If you're a man, especially if you're an influential man who's a master and has slaves, you bought a wife, you might have a bunch of wives, right? You bought, you know, you bought a bunch of camels, you do a little trade, you know, I'll trade you a camel for a wife. There's no love... I mean, there's a few instances in the Bible we do see there's a love relationship, a deep love relationship with a marriage relationship. But almost always, it's a master and a slave relationship. But this Adonai loves, loves his spouse. This Adonai loves according to his own heart. And I'll confess to you a little bit. Um, in preparing this sermon... You know, I, you know, reading through, like, yeah, Adonai, he's the master and we're the slave. You know, I'll, I'll serve you, God. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do your work and, you know, buck up and, and, and serve you, my master. When it got to the part where we're talking about Adonai being our husband, that's when I got a little squirrely, <laughs> right? I don't want a husband, you know. I got, yeah. it, it, gets a little, it seems a little soft, especially for you, us men, I think. It seems a little... A little touchy, you know. You know, I think it's a, this issue is especially dangerous for guys like me. You see, I'm a religious professional. I'm a paid clergy. I get credit, and I get acclaim, and I get money for serving God, for doing this, for studying and preaching. So it's dangerous for me because when I do God's work, we all say, hey, great sermon, pastor. 
Hey, thanks for being at that prayer meeting. Hey, you're doing God's work. You're doing God's will. You see, it's tempting, especially for me, to deal with God like a boss instead of God like a spouse. We can serve him, we can love, we can do his work. But listen, if we don't love him, he's not the Lord of our life. In order for God to be the Lord of our life, he must be the love of our life. C.S. Lewis makes this great point in his, in his book, The Great Divorce. He says those who are in heaven want to be there. And those who are in hell want to be there. What does that mean? Do you want to spend two weeks in an all-inclusive resort this time of year in Cancun, Mexico with your boss? <laughs> then why would we want to spend eternity with God if we just treat him like a boss? In order for Adonai to be the love of to be the Lord of our life, he must also be the love of our life. Adonai, being the Lord of our life, is said not by our lips, but by our lives. And Adonai, being the love of our life, is said not by religious service, but by our heart. You see, If you're a Christian, you're kind of like already in. Because Ephesians 5, as the Bible comes along and reveals itself progressively, we see in Ephesians 5 that Paul is talking about husbands and wives, the relationship that a godly New Testament marriage should look like. And I, had, I read this, uh, we read this in my wedding. Ephesians 5 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ Love the church and gave himself up for her. And then we see at the final book of the New Testament, Revelation, there's a wedding. At the marriage supper of the Lamb, where the church, called the Bride of Christ, is married to Christ. And we will live with him in love forever. See, religion says you do this for God, God does this for you. But the gospel of Jesus Christ says, I love you. Come into my love. You see, we were all once slaves. The Bible teaches that it's not that we were these autonomous people doing our thing, going along, and then God said, hey, come on into my family. The Bible teaches that we were all once slaves to a malevolent and wicked master called sin. And God, like a loving spouse, bought us. He paid the bride price of his son in order for us not only to become servants, but to become his spouse to have the protection and provision of God. But not only that, to have his love. That is the length with which the great master Adonai has been through to bring us into his family. 
John 15, where Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples hours before his trial and execution. He says this, No longer do I call you slaves, because a slave doesn't know what the master is doing. Now I have called you friends. We know what the master is doing. He is buying us out of a malevolent lordship of sin into a good and wonderful home where we can be free underneath the lordship, the protection, provision, and the love of the great Adonai Yahweh. Is Adonai the love of your life? Is Adonai the Lord of your life? If you say, you know, Josh, I don't know. I, I, I don't think so. Or even if you say this, it's not God who controls me, but it's this. Then you're enslaved by a wicked slave driver, but you can have freedom today. You, if you have never confessed Jesus Christ as Lord, today is your day of freedom, and you need to do that. If you say, well, Josh, he is the Lord of my life, but I have trouble. I have trouble living under his protection and provision. The only way to know his protection and provision is to know the Bible. This is what he has told us he will provide for us and protect us from. If you're struggling to, to live under the lordship of Jesus Christ, you need to start the Bible reading plan. CVC, we have a Bible reading plan. You read through the Bible in two years. It's online. You can, get in, you can get in the foyer. You can get it on Twitter. You need to know what God's promises and his provision and protection are for you. If you're struggling living under that, this is the source for all you need to know by the power of the Holy Spirit to live under the protection and provision of our great God. Adonai, as Lord of your life, is not said with your lips, but with your life. Is Adonai the love of your life? If you say, you know, Josh, I hear you with all the whole Adonai, Lord, you know, master, husband thing, but I'm just not an emotional guy. You know, I don't really feel in those terms. If your heart doesn't have love for Jesus, the Bible says you are not saved and you don't have his protection, and you don't have his provision. If you've never just, if, you, if you've never felt the love of God, then you might just be religious and not a Christian. If that's you, you need to become a Christian today. We have a prayer code after the service. You go there and say, I've been in church my whole life, but I've never felt that power, the love from the Holy Spirit. Today is that day. But I think a lot of us, especially you men, say, okay, I, I, you know, Adonai is the Lord of my life. I want to serve him. I understand I should feel affection and love for God. But it's just hard for me. What do I do? I got two suggestions. One you know when like Nate and Brian sing and, and stuff, play instruments? That's so we sing. <laughs> That's so our hearts and our voices are raised up to God. And that stirs in our hearts. 
if we're just watching during worship, we're just kind of like, it's there to stoke our hearts with a desire for him. So men, you need to get your hands out of your pockets. You need to raise your hand and sing to the Lord. There was one person I've ever sang to in my life. That is my wife. Okay, I don't intend uh, to change that. But men, you need to be willing to look as dumb as you did when you were dating your wife to prove that you loved her. You need to be willing to look that dumb for the Lord. King David did. And even his wife was like, you look stupid. But he said, hey, the Lord is, is my love, the love of my life. Another thing, I want to challenge you this. I did this yesterday, so I'm not a hypocrite. (laughs) Contrary to many stereotypes of pastors. Um, I want you to do this. I want you to carve out 30 minutes, not like five, like 30 minutes in in a room by yourself, and I want you to pray. I just want you to pray this. Jesus, lover of my soul, show me how to love you more. So you need to pray. You don't need to start going along, along the line. Say, Jesus, lover of my soul, show me how to love you more. See what God does. And I encourage you. We got the prayer cove in the back. I, you need prayer. If your heart is dry, your heart is just weak, you might need someone to just lay hands on you and pray for you that the Holy Spirit would revive the love and affection for Jesus Christ. The great Adonai, Yahweh, he is our master and he is our husband. I hope that's been an encouragement to you. Let me pray. Lord God, you are so good. Lord, you have taken this idea of a a master slave or a husband, wife, and you flipped it on its head. Lord, you don't look for things from us. Lord, you just want to provide for us and protect us in your love. Thank you that you aren't a wicked taskmaster. Thank you you aren't a wicked master, but you love us. You are a husband. Lord, may we be obedient to your word so that we can serve you by living under your protection and provision. And may our hearts burn with love for the great Adonai Yahweh who has, who has ransomed us by the price of your son. Lord, may we be a people here at CVC that gushes forth with vivor, with affection, with love for you. May it not be something we are just a part of. May it something, be something that enraptures our heart, Lord. May we go out loving you more and living under your protection and provision. And may we call out to other people who are in slavery and saying, you don't have to be enslaved by that wicked master anymore. Lord, may we be people who proclaims freedom in Christ. Lord, thank you that it's available to us and thank you that it's near to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.